Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, my friends. I hope you are well. It's me, Louise Makshari. Welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I hope you're feeling good. I hope you've had a good week. If you haven't, that's okay too. I am absolutely up the walls. I am recording this on Wednesday night, which is not when I normally record, but I am heading to New York tomorrow morning. Um, it is my first time going to New York. I have always wanted to go my entire life, but I am... Um, turning 40 on Friday week and about I feels like about a year ago it certainly was a long time ago I kind of made a decision I was like you know what what are you waiting for like no one else is going to bring you to New York if you want to go to New York go to New York so I booked business class flights please I, I realize absolute notions above my station but I just thought I don't want to be stressed about flying like I just want to have a really nice time and really treat myself for getting to this point in my life and I booked a nice hotel and tomorrow I am going am I ready no how are the kids packed no they're going to stay with grandparents am I packed no but I am gonna get this podcast episode done for you no matter no matter what it takes but please just bear in mind that it's entirely possible that a massive event might happen over the next 48 hours between me recording this and it getting to you and if that happens and it sounds like I'm completely ignoring it that's why myself and Aoife and uh, myself and Esther are going to be recording the news and the entertainment news just a little bit earlier than we normally would so again there might be one or two things missing from that if something major happens but hopefully not um as it is Wednesday night, I'm still in an absolute high from the women's football last night. It was such a thrill to watch them win in Scotland. So excited for them that they're going to the World Cup. I mean, it's just such a huge achievement for them. I know we'll be talking about it a little bit more with Aoife, but that has been my biggest buzz over the course of the last 24 hours. Anyway, we have got lots to do today, including a chat with Catherine Ferguson, who is the director of Nothing Compares, the new Sinead O'Connor documentary, which I saw recently and loved. So uh, that will be coming up a little bit later on. But first, let's get the news. 
Aoife Moore, political correspondent from the Sunday Times Ireland. Thank you so much for joining me early on a Thursday morning. I think it's important to flag that we're recording early <laughs> this week. Um, it is so early. I had toast in my bed, so there's going to be crummies everywhere. Well, look, I mean, I'm a big proponent of eating in bed, to be honest. Um, we've got lots to talk about. And let's start with the great news this week um, of the Irish women getting to the World Cup. Yes, we're going to New Zealand. Woohoo! The Ireland ladies soccer team made history the other night in Hamden in Glasgow where we beat Scotland 1-0. Um, it was a great match. The away crowd were absolutely amazing. I'm sure everyone saw the videos if you weren't there. It, um, yeah, it was a great match. The It was like truly thrilling. Like... As I've mentioned. Well, as our, as our registered soccer, lady soccer correspondent. Well, this is it. I've gotten, you know, I'm firmly on the bandwagon. and um, But it genuinely was a really exciting match. Like at one point I was like, I don't know if I can survive these six minutes when they do the six minutes extra time. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was absolutely joyful. And there was so much exciting and brilliant kind of footage coming out. Like the interviews afterwards were gorgeous. Clearly just such an achievement because obviously, you know, it wasn't long ago that the Irish women's national team were having to hold press conferences. We were going on strike. Yeah. Yeah. To talk about the fact that they were being treated so poorly. So uh, it's They had just, to share tracksuits. It's crazy, isn't it? They had to share tracksuits. I don't know how we didn't burn the place to the ground. Um, yeah, so the one in goal was scored by a player from Melford in Donegal, not far from Creasa. So there was a very heartfelt moment mm. when she scored the goal. The players were all wearing their black armbands mm. and she kissed the armband and then in her post-match interview said that she had dedicated the goal to the people in Creasa because that's where her grandparents are from. It's where she goes every Christmas and every summer. Mm. And that the team were happy. Um, they, they kind of partied at the end of the match with a Donegal flag. Yeah, as well. Um, and we will talk more about Chrysler in in a few minutes. But it was yeah. an absolutely beautiful moment, and I just thought all the you know videos that came out of them celebrating. I couldn't get enough. Like my Instagram was just full of them. But then, yeah, I was actually surprised at the amount of men I saw um, sharing it on their Instagrams. Well, well sure, the men they love the World Cup, and exactly, Damien Duff, um, the former Republic of Ireland international, said this was on a par with the men qualifying. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we're going to New Zealand. I'm personally not going to New Zealand. I have a lot on that's very expensive. But, um. <laughs> I would love to go to New Zealand, but I can't see it happening. It's in, it's in August. I'm so available. If anyone, if anyone wants to bring me, I, I can provide commentary. <laughs> Um, now unfortunately and I really don't want to harp on this but there was a slight dent in in the kind of celebrations Uh, so let's talk about it yeah so in the aftermath of the one in the dressing rooms the guards were celebrating and one of the players went live on Instagram and she posted a video of the girls celebrating singing the Celtic Symphony by the Wolftones and in the middle of the chorus, they began singing Ooh Ah uh, Opera. Uh, the video went viral and people were understandably really upset. So the DUP, the UUP, a number of people came out and said that, you know, this was really disappointing. Um, the FAI came out immediately and apologised. They said it wasn't appropriate. Uh, Vera Pau, who's the manager of the ladies team um, immediately came out the next morning and she said, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, 
we are sorry there is no excuse for hurting people mm. she said that she had spoken already with several of the players and they were all incredibly disappointed with themselves mm. the player who posted the video wouldn't come out of her room Mm. Um, she was crying because she felt like she'd let the team down mm. um, Vera Poy herself said that even if she had been there she wouldn't have understood it um, yeah. as a foreigner she said that she didn't really understand um, at the start and someone had to explain it there mm. um, and then we did Aftermath um, Jeffrey Donaldson from the DUP welcomed the apology um, the Doug Beatty uh, head of the UUP also welcomed the apology and just said, you know, this kind of thing can't be taken lightly. Yeah. And um, they are not something to be singing about. Um, Michelle O'Neill also welcomed it, said that the girls had apologized yeah. and said that they everyone should move on. Yeah. Um, like the thing about this is. Um, no, I would argue that there are very few people of a certain generation, our generation, let's be honest, and younger, who haven't been in a situation where someone's been casually saying, ooh, uh, up the raw. Like, yeah. it happens when people are drunk and they're celebrating and they're not saying it from, like, a political standpoint. It's like, you know, it has become something that is not as meaningful as it once was. And it mm-hmm. can be used flippantly. And it's probably a good reminder that we all I need to kind of... Say- much more flippantly used in the South. Yes, absolutely. Than in the yeah, North. no, that's what I yeah. mean. Yeah, that's what I mean, 100%. And I think it is a good reminder that we need to consider these things, especially as we move forward toward the idea of a united Ireland. Like, we do need to consider these things and we need mm-hmm. to be more careful. And it's a great reminder. But I also think it's such a shame that these girls have have had to have their glory of 24 hours kind of really tainted by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that, you know, they have apologized. They have absolutely, you know, done a full mea culpa. Oh, I'd say they're kicking themselves. Oh, like, I'd, they are. I, you yeah. can see that they're raging, you know, and that they're mm-hmm. really annoyed with themselves. I hope we can just let it go and move on because they deserve to be celebrated in this moment. And, you know, what can they mm-hmm. do but apologize and learn from it and move on? Before we talk about the win, need to ask you about the statement that's just come out from the FAI in which they've apologised for the player singing a song that references the IRA. Um, would you like to apologise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, we're all really sorry here um, in Dublin. Obviously, massive lapse in judgment on our end. Um, you know, lots going on when the final whistle went, and we absolutely didn't mean to cause any hurt on our end. So we we do really apologise for that. Absolutely. How, how embarrassed are the players by this video? Yeah, uh, quite embarrassed. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot going on in the change rooms um, in such a such a major moment. So, um, lots of different songs, you know, being put on left, right, and centre. So, look, we are incredibly embarrassed in this moment in time. Um, didn't mean any hurt on our end. So, we do really apologise for that. Yeah, it, I guess it, it raises the question: Does it highlight the need for education on issues like this? Is that something you'd be for? Um. I don't really think so. I think, you know, um, we need to learn in these moments um, to, to be better and to do better. Um, you know, we've all been brought up um, knowing a lot about, you know, uh, Irish history. So, um, you know, we just need to be better in moments like this. Uh, and uh, we recognise that absolutely on our end. Let's move on and let's talk about the absolute tragedy that happened in Creasla because, you know, it's it's uh, I think it's been in everyone's minds. Obviously, it was in the footballers' minds at that match. Um, mm. You know, it ha- has been heartbreaking to learn about what unfolded there. Yeah, so um, 
I might get a wee bit upset. Um, so Creesla, for those not aware, is this tiny wee village in the northwest of Donegal. I think usually there's around 400 people mm. that live there. Um, it's popular in the summer, so I used to spend a lot of my summers there. I have family there. Um, and it is it's on the northwest coast, so it's absolutely beautiful. It's near Guador. It's part of the Gwaeltacht. Um when we used to go when we were kids, it was actually like a bar and a petrol station. Me and my brother used to be so bored. Like, why did you bring us here? Um, but in the last couple of years, you know, they've built a camping site. It has a coffee shop. Like, it's, mm, you know, very cosmopolitan. popular, yeah. Um, last Friday afternoon, um, the Apple Green petrol station, um, for want of a better word, exploded. There is an apartment complex above the Apple Green um, they believe so far the Guardi are investigating that it was a tragic accident caused by a gas leak. Um, ten people have died. Yeah. Um, and eight people are, are still in hospital. Um, a mother and her son were buried yesterday. Um, yesterday Wednesday, and um, a forty-nine-year-old woman, her twelve-year-old son, who had gone into the shop to her just minutes before after she collected him from the school bus. Um, the youngest victim is just five. Yeah. Um, Shauna, she's unbelievably cute. Yeah. Um, the funerals have been held all week. Um, and the president uh, returned from Strasbourg yesterday, the president of Ireland, and he attended the funerals. There was a really poignant moment yesterday when James Flaherty, who's um, was from Sydney in Australia originally, but had lived in Dunfanaghy, his 12-year-old son, Hamish, spoke at his funeral oh my god I can't imagine how strong how much strength that would take you know a 12 year old yeah he thanked everyone um for being at his dad's funeral and said that you know his dad was a great guy and that he said that you know you need to cherish your family because they won't always um be around I have his quote here he said I would like to say something I have learned in the past week or so we should be grateful for your families cherish them be grateful for them because they won't be there forever oh my god it's too much it's too much it's just, it's one of those things as well. You feel so helpless because there's no rhyme or reason no. for it. Like people just walked into the shop. No, no. There's and no... there was, um, because there's such, it's such a wee village. Yeah. Like it was a shop, a petrol station, the post office. Yeah. The center. Yeah. The center of life. It has life. those, um, do you know those big washing machines yeah. at the side, you yeah, know, for yeah. people who are like camping or whatever. So, and yeah, and it's obviously the whole village everyone knows everyone so nearly everyone knows yeah. everybody who was killed it was yeah. all local people who were killed yeah it's the, um, yeah, like its impact on that community I don't think can be overestimated yeah it's really heartbreaking rest in peace to all those those 10 people who we so tragically lost um now very quickly what was going on this week with Ukrainians were going to be moved county in Ireland but then they weren't what happened there? Yeah, so what was supposed to happen is there's 135 women and children who'd been staying in the Hotel Killarney. And they found out, like, I believe the day before or two days before, that they were being moved to Westport in County Mayo. Um, the kids were, these These are um, families who have been in Ireland since the very start. They're like some mm. of the first people that we took. So they've been here mm. since like February or March. And... The women have jobs. The kids are at the local school. Like they have like bedded in basically to this yeah. community, and they were being moved because the there were more appropriate services according to the department, more appropriate services in Westport, and they were moving in um, male asylum seekers 
end of this hotel from, I believe, North Africa. And they just said, you know, there'd be better services for the kids in the place in Westport, so they're going to move them. Um, I think it all came to like because of the principal of the school phoned um, Radio Kerry, and I believe he phoned Brendan Griffin, the Fine Gael TD for mm. the area, and said, you know, we've got kids crying in the school. We don't know what to do. We don't know whether to give them homework. Yeah. Like, we don't know if they'll be back. So there was... Brendan Griffin, the local TD, I think played an absolute blinder with this. He spoke with a the minister. There was a bit of a Ferrari for two days where the local people wanted them to stay. The woman and the children wanted to stay. And um, the, the meeting was held with the department and they said, right, okay. Kind of at the 11th hour, they said, all right, you can stay, but you can't stay in this hotel. So they found alternate uh, accommodation in Killarney mm. for them. So that they could stay in the community. And the kids can stay um, in the school and all the rest, yeah. Yeah, and I think Roger Gorman, um, to his credit, like is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm. You know, he said that he can't guarantee that this won't happen again. This mm. is just the nature of trying to house, you know, yeah. we're now at the stage, we've got 52,000, as mm. of Tuesday, we had 52,000 Ukrainian refugees, over 40,000 of them are looking for accommodation. Yeah. So this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of moving and shuffling around. And I suppose that's probably the same thing that happens to any uh, refugee or asylum seeker in Ireland. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and it's so not okay for did. any other kid either. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also like 3,000 homeless children who have to leave a hotel every day as well. So yeah, um, yeah the, it's been welcomed by, you know, like the, refu- the immigrant council, the refugee council. Mm. But they said that, like, the government need to be more wary of, you know, the impact that moving kids around absolutely um, would have. But yeah. it had a good outcome. Like, I was watching yeah. the sex last night and had a wee cry, mm. um, seeing the wee kids getting to stay at their school and yeah. stuff. But, yeah, this is the nature of it. It's Like, just... as if they haven't been through enough, you know. Any any child who finds themselves in a situation where they're living in a hotel, any child has been through yeah. enough and deserves a little bit of stability in their life. Yeah, and they said that it was very reminiscent of, like, leaving Ukraine. You know, yeah, they were just going to get their bags and go. Yeah. Okay, uh, very quickly, um, I want to talk about bad men, unfortunately. Oh, um, there were a couple of stories this week. Um, there was a Garda. This headline alone is, like, wild. Yeah, I'll just read the headline and then we can go into it. So, yeah. Garda suspended over investigation into claim he hired a man to sexually assault a colleague. Like, what? So the Guardian have confirmed that um, an officer is under suspension as his own colleagues now investigate a complaint he tried to hire someone to sexually assault a female Garda. Like what? It's understood that what? it's a Garda in the west of the country. Uh, it's understood that he uh, he might have contacted someone on the dark web and asked them to carry out this assault on the woman. Um, apparently he found this I don't know if we could call it a hitman but anyway this person agreed and they were travelling from Scotland to Ireland to do this Um, there's been no charges Um, so far it's just an, an investigation. investigation but he has been suspended so we oh must have thought there's at least grounds to suspend like him how like the 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 good people of the Guardi must be banging their heads against the wall because mm-hmm. I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to be a Garda who goes into their go- their work in good faith, who wants to serve people properly and wants to make sure that women tr- trust them. 
and then you know they wake up and read this about one of their colleagues like how are women supposed to have faith in the guardi go to the guardi about sexual assault or any of the violence that we we that we experience and oh, we yeah, all experience it to join the guardi yeah oh i don't like i don't i truly i don't know i don't know and then staying in the field of bad men this headline also blew my mind like i actually think we could just read the headlines and people would be <laughs> from the independent this week judge encourages sex offender to find wife and start a family like oh boy so this lad is an absolute charmer so Gallo patrick feeney remember the name uh he's 36 he's uh from yeah remember Jerome. the name remember the name cahill patrick, patrick feeney he's 36 and he's from tyrone he was returned for trial in dungannon and he has been described as dangerous to females by the police and he went on to accept a lesser sexual uh assault charge he met his victim on plenty of fish and they had a night out like a date with no incident and that was grand on the second date he was acting like a complete weirdo um she went home didn't want to be there and then he turned up at her house and sexually assaulted her um he has 67 oh sorry sorry go on i can't i'm like i'm explosive with this when he was arrested right he refused yeah so he said that so a police officer said he has 67 previous offenses some of which are are domestic in nature and he is managed by a specialist unit as a violent offender so when he um, was being tried, the court was told eight women, including his mother, his grandmother, uh, had taken non-molestation orders out against him. He has convictions for assault, breaches of court orders, and the majority of his offending occurred while he was drunk. The judge called him a belligerent drunk, a thug, a bully, and a nuisance. And then the same judge, <laughs> the same judge said, you are still a young man. There's nothing that will stop you moving on with your life in a more productive way, finding work or finding a wife or partner, getting a family and a home. Like what? I would say his own self is the thing that's stopping him. I I like I could not believe this and I saw Dr. Caroline West who is an absolutely brilliant um she's a a, a specialist in sexuality and stuff. She's amazing yeah. on relationships. She amazing. And she tweeted, quote tweeted this article and said women are not rehabilitation centers for violent sex offenders. And that is it in one. Like it is not our job to fix the lives of these dirt bags. Imagine thinking, you know what's wrong with this fella? This fella who has obviously in some way hurt his mother and grandmother. Do you know what this fella needs? A nice a wife. wife. I would like to think that a judge in his position would say, you shouldn't be a near woman at exactly. any point Stay in away your life, from them. You clear monster. <sighs> oh, it's so infuriating. <laughs> Now, Aoife, just before I let you go, let's quickly just touch on the verdict about Alex Jones. Alex Jones of InfoWars, conspiracy theorist. Um, he's been on this trial. Is good news. It's great news, yeah. So yes, let's just quickly give the people some good news. good news to finish on. So Alex Jones from InfoWars and sweaty gammon head fame, uh, the conspiracy <laughs> theorist, has to pay nearly a billion dollars to the parents and families of Sam, perhaps Sandy Hook Massacre. So he perpetuated this false claim that Santa Hook never happened. Um, he perpetuated on his very popular Infowars kind of YouTube and podcast channel. Mm. 
Um, he said that uh, it never happened, that it was all like a false flag to take away people's guns. Mm. This is the second time this has happened. A Texas jury in August awarded nearly 50 million to the parents of another dead child. Um, they said that they had been threatened. The parents had been threatened and harassed for years by people who believed the lies that he told on his show. Um, apparently, like these people had been trolled on social media. Um <sighs> Conspiracy theorists turned up and urinated on the grave of a seven-year-old who died and threatened to dig up the coffin. Horrific. Now, the only problem with this Um, is that it's so much money that he's been ordered to pay out. Like, it's nearly a billion dollars. And, like, mm, this is a rich man, but he's not that rich. And he then went on his show live after the verdict and basically was like, lol, they should have asked me for a trillion dollars. Like, I can't give them that. And, like, urged his audience to send him money. Like, you know, the problem is... That this man is going to twist this around to his vulnerable followers and make money out of it. Well, I mean, he he won't. I mean, he's going to have to raise a lot of money before he makes money. There was a very interesting article I read once about a fella who actually worked on Infowars like when he was very young, like as a kind of student. And he said that even like when they were doing Infowars, like Jones would admit that he knew Santa Hook was real. Like this was all just to make money. It's all made up. Yeah, it's all made up. It's so frustrating. But anyway, at least we all, it's been legally confirmed that Alex Jones is a liar. And I would also make the point in America that if poor people can't pay their fines, they have to go to jail. So I don't know why it isn't the same for Alex Jones. Well, that's a very good point, Tifa, And a fine note to end on. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you for accommodating me and speaking to me early in the morning. Um, Aoife Moore, political correspondent from the Sunday Times Ireland. I was delighted to get to see Nothing Compares, the new Sinead O'Connor documentary last week. I thought it was incredibly powerful and enlightening, if I'm honest, on the true power of Sinead and everything that she experienced. And after seeing it, I felt incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to chat with the film's director, Catherine Ferguson. I hope you enjoy listening to this. Thank you so much, Catherine. Um, it is such a such a joy to speak to you, especially since I watched the film and I so enjoyed it. Um I was really, I was really blown away by everything that Sinead endured (laughs) Um, in a way that I kind of, I think I thought I knew and I had, I had either forgotten or I never got it in the first place. Um, And I think a lot of people will probably have that experience watching the film. But before we get into that, maybe tell me a little bit about why you came to this project. Sure. Well, um, sorry, it is a bit of a long-winded story. That's okay. (laughs) But, um, Basically, you know, I'm I'm from Belfast. I grew up in Belfast in the 80s and 90s. And I was very lucky that my dad was actually a huge Sinead fan in mm. the late 80s when The Lion and the Cobra came out and would have played that album just on repeat throughout literally my, my entire childhood. We'd be driving around Belfast with the rain blasting, or sorry, we'd be driving around Belfast with the rain hitting the windows outside the car and the line and the cobra would just be blasting on the stereo. Mm. And it just became this very visceral soundtrack to my childhood. Yeah. And then mm. um, in the early 90s, uh, when I was a young teenager myself um, and her second album came out, I really feel like uh, my friends and I really found her on her own two feet and she became this hugely important musical icon you know to us as these young women growing up um in our country mm. 
at that time and we just loved everything about her you know obviously the music uh, and how she looked and everything mm-hmm. she had to say just really spoke to us as young Irish women and um but what happened was I feel like as soon as we really found her as this person that we admired so much um you know, we we then witnessed this huge backlash against her, yeah. which happened in 1992 and 1993. And it just was such a shock to us. Mm. And it felt like um, it created such a dent in me, uh, you know, and it was very demoralizing to see this musical hero mm. that, you know, from our from our own country being treated in this awful way. Mm. So um, I honestly say that's when the, the seeds were sown for, for making this film because yeah. it had profound effect I mean as a teenager but it wasn't then until I became a filmmaker um, in my 20s um, that you know her story that I'd always carried with me just really started to uh, you know make some noise inside my head again Um, yeah we can talk a bit about that process if you like. Yeah I like I just um, it's interesting because I was doing the maths and I think I was I'm a bit younger than you not by a huge amount but maybe a bit too young to have been fully aware of what was going on like I I was actually living in America at the time and I was aware of Sinead O'Connor because Sinead O'Connor was Irish and she was having such a huge moment I mean it's bigger than a moment I and I think the film really brought that home for me that like you know there was a comparison I think when someone was describing how how big she was you know if you think of like Billie Eilish now you know she was an absolutely huge star internationally um and I kind of knew that she was an Irish girl doing well and I knew nothing compares to you and I knew maybe Mandinka but like that was kind of about it but the film opens with this shot and it's you know I I later came to learn that it's Sinead in Madison Square Garden and she's uh, perform or due to perform at a Bob Dylan kind of celebration concert is that right and yeah, Chris, Chris Christopherson introduces her and she comes out to this cacophony of noise and she describes it herself as you know a combination of cheering and booing and she stands with such resilience like it is so moving I thought it was such a great choice to open with that shot was it always going to be that for you well I mean I think I I, I many a time watched that clip uh, on YouTube um, and I think many people actually did as well because I think it was even Roisling Ingle I spoke to or not I, I, yeah well, she, she was one of the contributors yeah. so many people have watched that clip as as you say such a moment of defiance yes and you see everything like you just see all the emotions cross her face yes. in that moment where she's having to decide what to do does she walk away or does she stand and face the madding crowd which it is you know Mm. half of them are booing half of them are cheering and I just thought goodness it just says everything about her and what she has to deal with and for me it just felt like such a key moment and I suppose what we wanted to do was just to really set up the film that we wanted to to make and the journey that we wanted to bring uh, viewers on by just almost teasing with that moment because it says so much about where we're then going to go mm. in the film because it's a very confusing piece of footage when you see it because yeah. you see her walking on with this joy and excitement here she is mm. being invited to sing at her musical hero's birthday essentially mm. to be you know to be greeted with this horrific sound uh you know which must have been very um disconcerting for her and yeah we just wanted to really set up the film um 
with that, which we then, of course, revisit yeah. in detail uh, in the latter part of the film. And she gets to explain what was going on for her in that moment. But yeah. it just felt like it said everything we needed it to say. Yeah. And it's all the more powerful because you've seen it already. You have that moment. If you're not familiar with it, as I have to say, I wasn't. If you're, you see it and it's unbelievably powerful the first time and then the second time after you've been on the journey through everything that's come before it's even more powerful um so I mean the the nuts and bolts of it are just in case there's anyone who's listening who doesn't know you know obviously Sinead O'Connor became an absolutely enormous star she came from a very difficult um kind of background in terms of her family and then the the big moment that everyone knows her for if they don't know much else is when she went on Saturday Night Live and tore a photograph of the Pope and sang a Rastafarian kind of anthem um into the microphone on live television and that did not go down well with the Americans but I think the thing that really comes through is all of the other kind of political stances she had taken along the way because you know what I was blown away by and I actually said this on my podcast last week is her integrity is just stunning it is it is no I mean and I just can't think of many people in the public eye really that have such a you know rock solid integrity regardless of the consequences and I think consequence is a great word is it and it's used again and again in the film where she's constantly asked about the consequences but she still stays solid as a rock yeah. on her plate and what she's there to do yeah and I just think that's what makes her so exceptional yeah. because yeah, as I said I can't think of really any superstars and she was a superstar mm. at this point who would be willing to stand by their convictions at, at all costs yeah which is she did and I think that's what makes her so incredibly inspiring yeah and over and over again I think that was something that came again. through yeah. and and you know that she was never you know she never seemed to have a real fear of losing her success as it were yeah. and I kind of use that in air quotes money wasn't important to her you know she she is a true artist she is and I think what's super interesting in all of this is that really Sinead is an artist that's in many ways could have stayed as a counterculture, you know, within the counterculture, mm. because really she's a nonconformist. She's very punk in her ethos. Um, she's anti-establishment, yet she gets catapulted into this superstar realm yeah. where, you know, she's very public. Uh, I think when you're that famous, there's a lot that's expected of you, certainly that you will at least partially play the game mm. and even maybe be grateful for your, you know, huge success. Mm. And when she just doesn't do any of that, I think that's really where the rub happens. Yeah. And that's where people get angry at yeah. her because they can't understand yeah. why she's not doing what's expected of her. Yeah, she's not playing by the rules. Um, yeah. The film is, uh, it kind of reminded me of um, the documentary about Michael Hutchins and In Excess um, in, oh, yeah. in kind of the way that we, it's it's mostly kind of archive footage. And um, we see, you know, we're not seeing people kind of sitting down speaking to a producer or, or speaking to a director or speaking to camera. Um, what was that choice about? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, from the very beginning, we'd never planned uh, to shoot any talking heads. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I don't like them. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's my own, that's my own um, feelings about them. But I just, really, the key reason was because our film is so um, immersed in the time period, 1987 yeah. to 1993, 
I really wanted to keep you there mm. visually. Mm. I didn't want you to be dragged in and out of contemporary talking heads. Yeah. Um, I wanted to keep you there as, you know, because really our story is is a slow build. Mm. And I wanted you, and, and, and the intensity, of course, builds and builds throughout the film mm. as we go through uh, what Sinead is experiencing with her as she narrates mm. um, this part of her story. And I just did not want, yeah, and mostly I just didn't want you to be dragged out. Mm. And a key thing for me as well, for some, you know, for someone like Sinead, who I just feel the media have done such a fantastic job of being incredibly reductive of what she has to say. I wanted in our film what she has to say and her narrating her story to be the key takeaway. Yeah. Uninterrupted. So you you listen to her. Yeah. You didn't hear her telling what mm. happened telling us what happened and there's no interruptions so that so that's really I suppose the real reason why there's no talking heads but with uh, also you hate them (laughs) well well, no I thought it was I thought it was so effective and one thing that I was struck and I'm kind of always really hesitant to talk about a woman's appearance in any capacity but you cannot help but be struck by how beautiful Sinead O'Connor is and 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 you know almost angelic like you know like otherworldly in terms of how stunning she was in 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 this time period like in that scene you know that we talked about it when she when she is at Madison Square Garden she is just I mean she just I've seen other people say this but it she is like a fawn like a beautiful kind of deer um and I'm interested to know what role you think her beauty played in everything that went down because when I was thinking about it, I was thinking that I think there are probably certain expectations of really beautiful women. There are mm. expectations of them to be a certain type of person. And she, I don't think, did that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great observation. No, I'm sure um, her looks did play a part in the backlash. Because again, because she wouldn't play the game with what was expected of how she presented herself. It's mm. also... It caused huge contention. Yeah, because um, obviously all the questions about her hair and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think it really, you know, yeah, exactly. And there's lots of uh, TV presenters in our film asking her, like, what has she done to herself? Yeah, um, I was really annoyed at Gayburn, like, through the entire mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just all comes across very patronizing, yeah. really. But, um, yeah, and I think um, the fact that she shaved her head, I think, caused huge controversy like people couldn't understand even though we'd already gone through punk and post-punk you know yeah. it, it, it's it wasn't a new thing but I think yeah the fact that she was a very strikingly beautiful young woman who decided to shave her head and present herself in a quite a raw form certainly irked um you know the the powers the powers that be absolutely mm. and um I think John Mabry just you know talks about it quite strikingly in the film and mm. that he says you know here she was with this very beautiful face but because people had associations with the skinhead as being something yeah. else entirely it just created again another rub that people couldn't get over yeah. you know um yeah. yeah I thought um there, I think it was one of the one of the first times that Gayburn appears in the film when Sinead is on the late late and he's he's like oh I know all the mothers at home are saying oh I wouldn't want my daughter to do that blah 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 and it's just like in 2022 watching that it's just infuriating and it really makes you think about what a different experience Sinead would have had 
yeah. or would have if she was having that career now because yeah. someone pointed out in the film that like back you know in, in at that time if you weren't on the radio if you were on the tv you might as well not exist but like obviously it's so different now and you know there were people like you in Belfast and your friends who were diehard Sinead fans you know who wanted to support her but how do you get that message of support across whereas now you can tweet you know you can you can Instagram but of course that's double-sided because she would have gotten the negativity from there as well well this is it yeah I mean and I do honestly want her how, you know how are we that far ahead are things that different I, I don't know if we are I mean you only have to look at what's happening in America right now to wonder really how we progressed yeah. at all mm-hmm. um in many ways um I don't know uh I think yes yeah, she was certainly what you know yeah skin from skunk and Nancy makes that comment about yeah if you're not being talked about or yeah. written about as well not exist which is uh, a very brutal truth of that time but yes as you say uh social media is great but it's a double-edged sword yeah. and I don't know I don't know what the backlash would have been on there mm. the problem is too is that it's hard to compare it to an artist of today because the reason I think she caused such an uproar was that the things that she was speaking out about at the time particularly around Catholicism yeah there were such unpalatable subjects yeah for people to be for a superstar to be discussing I don't even know what you'd have to say today yeah. for it to be um comparable as yeah, it's it's hard to judge it because mm. there was nothing kind of trendy or uh, cool about what she was saying. She was saying very brutal truths that I think were very hard for people to hear because yeah. yet again she was ahead of her time, yeah. even with what she was saying. So I don't know. It, it's hard to know. Um, it's hard to compare it to today. Yeah, I think at the start of this film, I would have said yes, definitely. It wouldn't happen now, but as the world is so often you know in flames at the minute I just don't I don't know yeah particularly with the religious right I don't know yeah I mean I think like the film there is a a kind of montage at the end of the film of young women you know female artists making political statements or making statements of kind of you know what could be deemed to be controversial opinions about you know issues that that people like them are facing or people not like them as well so you know I did really enjoy that kind of connection and because there's no doubt that Sinead you know laid a path made the path a little bit less treacherous for artists that came behind her but you know I think those I think you're right I think those challenges still do exist I think so absolutely um yeah it just I think it was she was like the canary in the coal mine at mm. this point and people just did not want to hear it and but what I find fascinating and I would like to think about it a bit more but it's like the, the fact that this 24-year-old young woman from Dublin caused this much noise. Yeah. The, the, the backlash, you know, when people have watched the film and we've now screened it all around the world since mm. it launched at Sundance in January, you get to the backlash part of the film and there's audible gasps in the audience because it's still so shocking. Just the amount of hatred and vitriol just it feels completely absurd it does break it down as this young 24 year old woman they obviously deemed her in some way threatening yeah or they wouldn't have made any noise at all fury at her yeah it's shocking still today but um yeah I don't know (laughs) I just think it's uh it's something to really think about yeah why she caused this much noise yeah Um, 
I, th- I just think she was she was viewed as a threat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose she was in a way because she was confronting people with an uncomfortable fuck truth. You know, she was she holding was. up a mirror that, you know, people weren't ready to look in. And I think yeah. in Ireland, you know, in terms of the Catholic Church, there are still people who are really struggling to look in that mirror and definitely people around the world, you know. Absolutely. And, and God forbid, she also may have, may have just been inspiring lots of other young women. Yeah, exactly. Do, you know, and I think that's where her biggest threat really Yeah, I was just going to say that's probably her greatest crime. <laughs> yeah, and the best. <laughs> what would you like to kind of see happen as a result of this film? Well, what's been fantastic is just, you know, seeing how it lands with audiences. Um, certainly what it seems to be doing is, you know, rightfully so, causing a huge amount of anger mm. in those who watch it. And, you know, I made it because I was angry. So, of course, audiences will feel the same. But yeah. what I hoped but didn't know if it would happen is that it seems to be very galvanizing. Yes. So people come out furious, but yes. galvanized and... I've even had friends who, you know, are, you know, trying to like write books or do things that, you know, they're trying to push themselves further in their own creative practices. And they've actually said after watching the film that there were bits that, you know, they wanted to publish publicly that they're like, oh, goodness, I can't because it's controversial. And what the film has done and seeing Sinead and all her glory being as bold as she was and is, is inspired them to think, you know what, actually, I am going to publish that. Yeah. You know, and if that keep happening, in uh, you know in a little way across the world I mean Mm. fabulous results if it inspires people to just go for it absolutely why the hell would I not you know and to be bold yeah and I think it's you know we need thousands of mini Sinead's out there right Mm. now picking the door down just like she did you know I think that's my utopian dream for for how this will all uh, land and before I let you go um I mean, I can't imagine if you're if you kind of grew up as such a fan of Sinead's to have the opportunity to work on something like this and obviously work with her. Um, were you nervous about kind of showing the finished product to her? To be honest, we don't actually think she's seen. Uh, oh, has she not? Uh, no, it's been offered to her, mm. um, but she's very, very supportive of the project. Right. But uh, we don't think she's watched it, and that's completely fair enough. Yeah, to be um, honest, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I would it was me yeah see any film of my own life particularly during a hard part yeah. of my life yeah so fair enough but um what's been wonderful is her support yeah and what I hope um happens is that uh she can feel yeah. this snow- snowballing yeah. love that's um building but you know the, the majority of people that that say it are just you know, just wishing her the very, very best. Yeah. Uh, any response to the film that is positive is a response to her. Yeah, a hundred percent. I have to say, I really felt, I felt that too. I felt like I hope that she will feel people's fury at the way she was treated, even if it is, you know, late. I, I hope she does feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I agree, and um. I'm, I'm sure she will because it's a, it's it's a growing yeah. uh, force and army of fans across the world so it's exciting it is well Catherine thank you so much I really am so grateful that you took the time to chat to me I love the film I know that the people who listen to this podcast are going to love it too and um, so continued success and I can't wait to see what your next project is thank you so much it's lovely to chat to you too 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The celebs, they keep celebbing, no matter what else is going on in the world. But sadly, this week, we had to talk about the death of Angela Lansbury, among lots of other more fickle matters. I was joined by writer Esther O'Moore Donoghue to discuss. Esther O'Moore Donoghue, it is such a delight to be joined with you. Joined with you, joined by you once again. That's no, how joined that. Joined with you. That's how those and words also work. Also with you, Louise, and also with you. <laughs> um, it is a total pleasure, and um, we have got lots to talk about. And I'm so sorry to say that the first thing we need to talk about this episode is Angela Lansbury. I know Angela Bridget Lansbury, the American Irish British actor and producer, has died at the age of 96, just five days before her 97th birthday. She had. So many, she accomplished so many things in her life. Um, she was nominated for an Oscar three times. She won several Tony Awards. Her career spanned eight decades. She was in films, theater, television. Um, you know, she was in the Disney classic Bed Knobs and Broomsticks in the 70s. She provided the voice of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Most recently in Mary Poppins Returns. But what I would have known her as, you know, would have brought her into my orbit was. Murder, She Wrote. Yes. Um, and a number of those um, episodes were filmed in Ireland, or at least to approximate a sound stage in California. But bits of it, <laughs> certainly bits of it, were certainly filmed in Ireland. Some of the titles include The Celtic R- Riddle. The Celtic a Riddle, a classic. A Killing in Cork and another Killing in Cork, because it's difficult to think of names. <laughs> so just like, just say, just write up another Killing in Cork, that will do. Well, she, so ended up, she, she ended up living in Cork, didn't she, in Ballycotton? Yeah, and I didn't, I mean, I actually haven't verified, I haven't double checked to see if this is true, but apparently her, one of her, her daughters was um, being pulled into a Charles Manson, the Charles Manson cult. And so she uprooted uh, her family and everything and moved to Cork to get away from her. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I, that's, that's what I saw online. So, and I believe wow. everything I see online. Yeah. So um, yeah, she certainly had a relationship with the country and was here, you know, literally for a period, came back and forth. So. 
Yeah. You can claim it. Well, there's even, there's an Architectural Digest, like, visit to her house from 2007. So, like, in Ballycotton and Cork. So, she definitely, I think we can claim her, you know? We can. And she, like, the thing about Angela Lansbury is, I think she was one of those people that you just thought would be there forever. You know, like, you just couldn't, like, she was, I read that she was on the stage last, in, like, 2019. Like, that is not long ago. No, and I mean to, to like she as I said she as I said earlier she she maintained her 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 career for decades so she just just naturally had this drive and you know zest for performing and creating and she just she kept going and it's I mean she was doing well and it's a fun life so um like Betty White she kind of just kept going and going and going and there was different incarnations of herself and her career so um mm. yeah no it, it it's sad because you do kind of these names and faces you know are so part of just the backdrop the cultural backdrop of our lives that mm. they're gone it's like oh that's it you know it's but um but certainly she's left so much material behind that we can enjoy mm. um yeah it's sad, but I really want to watch Murder She Wrote now I watched so much Murder She Wrote as a kid like yeah. so much I feel I like know. it was always on and there were infinite number of episodes mm. and um like she took up that role in 1984 and it was on for 12 years and nine seasons 12 and years I- 12 years yeah that's a lot of shows and it made her one of the wealthiest women in the u.s at the time she had a fortune estimated at around 100 million holy moly so yeah wow there 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 is there's years and years and years worth of episodes for us to go back and enjoy so and another thing as well she also campaigned to raise awareness and money for aids in the 80s and 90s at a time where it wasn't as maybe as fashionable or yeah there was there's still a, a lot of stigma i mean there still is stigma around um HIV and AIDS but it, it was different then and so she she was at the kind of forefront of that and um and so she she won a lot of or she she people were praising that in, in recent days online and Twitter and things like that so yeah. um yeah there's also an interview with her uh, that she did with the New York Times in 2010 um and it, <laughs> she did it under the agreement that it would not be released until after her death um so you can go and check that out if you want I'll link it in the show notes but like what an iconic move it kind of reminded me of have you read the seven wives of Evelyn Hugo no that's yes yeah, so I read it a couple of weeks ago is yeah that what it's called yeah. have I got the name right seven husbands yeah, of Evelyn yeah, Hugo yeah. excuse me yeah the seven husbands Googling here yes yeah seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid yeah I read it a while ago and that's kind of similar to the premise of that book that like you know someone who's lived a long kind of you know vivid Hollywood life agrees to kind of give away some of their secrets you know on the condition that it, the book doesn't come out or the interview doesn't come out till after they die it was it's, it's such a good move I think anyway rest in peace Angela Lansbury you were much 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 loved and you will be much missed um, let's move on Chloe uh, Kardashian this week revealed that she had had skin cancer yes um, Esther yeah. <laughs> you're a poor little croaky baby are you okay Let's acknowledge the frog in the room. There's a bit of a frog throat situation. And now we've said it and we can just proceed that I sound like I smoke 17 cigars a day. But um, I'm kind of into it. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't really lean into it. I could do a bit of a a Kardashian kind of vocal fry. Yeah. Chloe K had skin cancer. Well, she does not have skin cancer. No, skin cancer scare. Sorry. Skin cancer scare. Yes. So on Tuesday, Chloe revealed in an Instagram story that she recently had to undergo surgery to remove a tumor from her face. She said that seven months ago, she went and had a small bump on her face checked out at the doctor 
after realizing it wasn't budging and she first thought it was a spot mm. but it's, it wasn't shifting so um she consulted two dermatologists and had two biopsies and she was advised to have an immediate operation to remove the tumor from her face mm. um and they said that what they saw was incredibly rare for her age mm. and you know she was wise to get it checked out because i did see and i think she she was i, I saw her at the, the balenciaga show and she could see these little um uh flesh colored little patches on her face you kind of make it out in some photos so i guess people were talking and she had to address it and just oh. and, but also she's yeah so people were kind of what's going on oh because so, i was like how generous of her to share this just to inspire other people to kind of go and and seek help if they need it for their skin but if people were suspicious then i suppose that makes sense because i did see someone on twitter this morning saying whatever you say about the kardashians i just made an appointment with the dermatologist that i've been putting off for months and it does help i think when people come out and speak about these things yeah, because I, I was I, I looked into that and according to the Irish Cancer Society, skin cancer is the most common cancer in Ireland. Yeah. And there are over 13,000 new cases diagnosed each year. Yeah. And the National Cancer Registry of Ireland expects this number to double by 2040. Um, and so I know it's a, it's a, um, I know people you hear kind of maybe beauty journalists, etc. talking about wear your SPF every day. Yeah. And there's sort of a it's kind of maybe sold through the lens of, you know, maybe vanity or yeah. you know, keep useful but really it has a practical there's practical reason behind it as well and we should just throw it on every day chloe did us all the service and yeah you know, check the skin go on your mole patrol and <laughs> mole patrol i love it yeah. okay you're right i mean it is good it is good always to talk about these things um now damien hurst like he's a bit of an arsehole isn't he well look <laughs> well look you say that, and aren't we all ourselves? But at the same time, okay, aren't so some people and... bigger ourselves than others? May, yes, this is true. <laughs> yeah, we were all ourselves, but some of us are in the gutter looking at the stars. <laughs> no, wait, now we're getting too, we're getting we're getting too complicated. So Damien Hurst, in case you don't know, he's reportedly the UK's richest leading artist. He's a net worth of around three hundred eighty-four million dollars. Bloody hell! It worked out for him. People were into the paintings, like the cow chopped in half. He made great work or at least there was an audience for it and buyers and he's incredibly successful successful so recently he started burning millions of pounds worth of his art as part of a project which he says is testing the value of physical paintings versus digital work digital works so the project is called the currency and he launched it in july 2021 there's a collection of ten thousand pieces featuring his famous spot prints collectors were given a choice take a physical hearst original for two thousand dollars or opt for an NFT digital version. So And two thousand dollars very cheap for a Damien Hurst painting. Very cheap. Yeah, yeah, very cheap for a Damien Hurst. So they're given a year to decide. And so just over a half of them, five thousand one hundred and forty nine physical pieces remain intact. And then the virtual NFTs are deleted and the rest still live on in the digital sphere. And those people have decided to hold on to them. They some have sold their NFTs for huge multiples. Mm. So it kind of is Given the way, I mean, at any time, it's it kind of distasteful to consider that people are spending that amount of money on a work of art yeah. or the art world. Well, I think I think the issue time. is that like, OK, so obviously he's arguing this is art like this is this is and obviously it's his art and he can do whatever he wants with it and it is kind of you know playing with the whole concept of digital art and nfts and like how we value things and like i get that but also equally we are living in a cost of living crisis where people are so broke and he could have sold those paintings for i think it's like 11 million 
pounds and like you know donated it to charity or donated the paintings to charity like he didn't need to burn them and it just seems so kind of stupid to to waste it yeah it it is it is grotesque i mean it there there's so so many people in such difficult situations and it, it is distasteful and even the fact that you know the way it's been publicized it is it is gross grotesque but I, I don't know there there's a whole world out there that are living in a completely different bubble and i i said maybe it's maybe it's lost on them maybe you know that he, mm. he he can't just basically read the cost of living crisis room you yeah know? and it is but it's in such a different sphere that if, if, I, if I know two thousand dollars we say that's that is kind of a good price for a hearse painting but if you have that a much disposable income to just spend on mm. his works then you're kind of you are living in a different sphere and yeah. maybe they don't they kind of see it as a lark yeah and it's sort of operating in a in a in a in a space that's just not real yeah it's, just it's like a bubble very, yeah very very tiny percentage and I and I and I and I I kind of I when I was thinking of this and I just think it is in bad taste and you know maybe mm. it wouldn't be what I'd be doing but when I suppose when he set out he didn't you know it, I'm not defending him at all or the act at all but like he took a risk being an artist doing that and he has hit payload and pay dirt or whatever and he's made a, a, an obscene amount of money in his lifetime and it's just sort of a it is a different world and I don't think it's maybe not appropriate but no I get what you're saying like he's not yeah. in the real world yeah I think that's the, that's the reality of it okay let's move on to someone who I just have much more warm and fuzzy feelings about and that is Niall Horan and this week we've got two bits of Niall Horan news which I'm thrilled to say and the first is that he's doing a new television show yeah double Niall Horan so Niall Horan got his break on a TV talent show The X Factor in 2010 and it's just been announced that he's going to join a music talent show The Voice US as a coach uh, for the American television network, NBC. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm excited to join this new season of The Voice as a coach, twirling around in that chair. He didn't say that last bit, but he will be twirling around <laughs> in the chair. And um, so he's going to be mentoring a new crop of talent uh, with Kelly Clarkson and Chance the Rapper, which is, you know, very a cool. great, great lineup, very cool. Um, so he's taking over from John Legend and Gwen Stefani. And this new season will also be Blake Shelton's, a.k.a. Mr. Gwen Stefani. Mm his last on the show after a 12 year run. That's a good gig. 12 years twirling around that little chair. Yeah. Wife, knows maybe Niall and Kelly could get married. Kelly um, is now single. She's divorced. So mm. you never it's know. Possible. I'm delighted yeah. for him. It's a big show. Like, I mean, I think, it's you know, show, yeah. like it gets big viewers in the States. So that's very exciting. And then actually there's another kind of television show happening um, involving Niall Horan. And it's actually a documentary. And this obviously links to uh, what we previously chatted about on the podcast, which is Niall Horan and Louis Capaldi bopping around Ireland, buying chicken fillet rolls and going for haircuts. Yes, yes. We've seen them kind of being spotted here and there and, you know, been on Instagram, all of social media. And mm. um, back in August, they were spotted busking on Grafton Street. And they were seen more recently in Mullingar for the Flacchio and Heron and performing snow patrol and doing all sorts having the crack as they say and um, but it turns out they were filming a documentary sponsored by guinness called niall horan's homecoming the road to mullingar with lewis capaldi so it's quite the mouthful but yeah that's going to be on in a couple of days time on the 16th of october 
on Virgin Media One at 10 p.m. So former One Direction fans, current Niall Horn and Lewis Capaldi fans, you're in for a treat. I mean, the thing is, I don't even think you have to be a fan of Lewis Capaldi's music to appreciate Lewis Capaldi and what he gives to the world. He's just such an entertaining individual. Like, I would watch him do literally anything. And I also like Niall, so I would imagine they're going to do big numbers on this doc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both like, yeah, Lewis Capaldi... Um, he just seems very relaxed. They're not taking themselves seriously. They're having a good time. So mm. yeah, I'm sure it'll be it'll be entertaining. I'm into it. Okay, my friend, I'm going to let you go. Esther, I think you need some yes. time in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I'm totally fine. I'm healthy. I'm like Monica and friends. Honestly, I really appreciate you doing this, but part of me feels like you shouldn't have. Go and make yourself like a cup of hot uh, lemon and and honey and and give yourself a big warm snuggle. And um, I will see you next when you're healthy, my friend. Take very good care of yourself, okay? You too, you too. Sorry about that, folks. I'm sorry if that upset your ears. Not at all. Thanks, Esther. Well, my friends, it's just about time for me to say goodbye. Um, thank you so much for being with me this week. I have absolutely enjoyed being with you, even though it's a little bit um, unusual on my end. But I mean, I, the thing is, it makes no odds to you, does it really? <laughs> I just am glad that I was able to get you an episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it. In terms of recommendations, it seems like it's either a feast or a famine with me. Last week, I had loads of them. And this week, I have almost none. Um, but I have packed Sophie White's new book, Where I End, in my bag to read on the plane tomorrow. So I'll report back on that next week. Everyone who's read it, and obviously myself and Sophie are good friends so lots of our friends have read it they all say it's absolutely brilliant I'm a scaredy cat and it's meant to be kind of a scary book and um, which makes it perfect obviously for this time of year and um, so that's why I haven't read it yet but I'm going to read it because uh, a FOMO and b I need to know what Sophie's working on and what she's written and um, but I can't recommend that enough to you because I already know it'll be brilliant and who doesn't want a little spook around the Halloween time other than that I've got nothing sorry sorry about that I just genuinely haven't really watched anything or consumed anything that isn't the women's football or um like you know preparing for my trip so next week I'm sure I will have absolutely loads to tell you in fact I just realized the next episode will come out on my literal 40th birthday holy moly I have no issue with getting older whatsoever but it still is kind of like whoa how did that happen more intelligent insights on aging from me next week. <laughs> in the meantime, I hope you have a great time. If you feel like rating or reviewing this podcast, that would be much appreciated. Um, tell a friend that is also appreciated massively, massively. Thank you very much to Acast and to all my contributors. Have a great week. And if you can have a great week, that's okay too. I will be back with you no matter what next Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.